Amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The title of this sermon series has been Paradise Lost. We started it last week. John Milton wrote the long, epic poem, Paradise Lost, in 1667. And when I say long, I mean long. It's, it's like 500 pages long. It's divided into 10 separate books. I, I read the cliff notes of it. I'm not going to read a 500-page poem. But uh, there, in, in that story, in that poem, he talks about the biblical account of the temptation of Adam and Eve He talks about the fall of man when sin entered the world by their choice that they made and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. And that's where we are today. We're in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about last week how paradise had been revealed by God, that God had established this amazing setting, this amazing environment, and he put two people there. And in that setting, he designed people for deep connections, for authentic relationship. He designed us to know and be known, to love and be loved, to serve and be served. And when we do that, we exist in a manner that's consistent with the way that we are designed. And therein lies great fulfillment. And life, ultimately, as a human being, is about connecting to other human beings. So that was paradise revealed. And as we move From chapter 2 to chapter 3, we move from what might have been the subtitle last week, Naked and Unashamed, to Paradise Being Lost in chapter 3. Those amazing things that occurred between Adam and Eve. Think about the things that we talked about last week. The amazing trust, the amazing intimacy, the amazing openness and vulnerability, the deep connection that they had, and the word that I shared with you last week, which was my favorite word that described their relationship, was safe. It was a safe relationship, free from the fear of harm and free from the fear of shame. The beauty of that, what God had established, now is being lost. Something happens in paradise. Satan comes and he tempts Eve to eat the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, a tree that God had clearly and directly told Adam and Eve to avoid She eats of that fruit. She gives some to Adam. He eats of that fruit. It is is an illustration of their absolute disobedience and rebellion to God. So what happens? Sin enters the world. And sin enters their relationship. So let's read it together in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That's Satan. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, Satan knew that that's not what God had said. So he's taking what God had said and he's twisting it. That's what Satan does. He's not creative. He's not original. He takes what God says and he perverts it. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Whoops. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden or in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Again, a total rejection of what God had said. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, And he ate. And then we read in verse 7 the result. Here's the result. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together 
and made coverings for themselves. Now, you need to get a, you need to get a glimpse and a vision of this moment because it is dramatic. This is the fall of man. Paradise is lost. There is no more paradise. There are no such things as perfect people and perfect relationships. That was ruined here. Sin now entered the world for the very first time, and we live now in a sin-stained world. We bring sin into our relationships with each other. Adam and Eve not only kind of ruined and stained their relationship to God, but it also impacted their relationship to one another. And I want us to notice as we begin today what immediately happened when Adam and Eve sinned. What immediately happened, not only between their relationship to God, but what happened between each other. Here's what happened. First of all, they moved away from each other. They moved away from each other. In other words, they turned away from each other. There was a distancing now that occurred. Whereas there was once a deep connection, there was now a distance. They had never seen that before. Whereas once there was trust, now there was a distrust between them. They hid. They hid. Verse 8 tells us they hid among the trees. They hid from God and they hid from each other. So they now begin to conceal and kind of cover. Whereas once there was connection and there was openness and vulnerability, now they hide from one another. Next, they blamed. They blamed. God comes into the garden and essentially says, what, what has happened? Adam blames Eve. And by default, indirectly, he kind of blames God. Because Adam says, as you know, Adam says to God, that woman that you gave me, <laughs> it's her fault. Actually, God, it's your fault, right? That woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit to eat. God goes to Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Eve blames Satan. Neither one take responsibility for their actions. And then finally, they concealed their shame. They concealed their shame. They made fig leaves together, and they concealed their nakedness. They hid from each other and from God that which was now shameful in their eyes. Fear and shame had now entered into their relationship and into the world. Now look back in verse 7. Remember back in verse 7. Here's what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Well, isn't that interesting? Because I thought their eyes were already opened. Genesis 3 here, verse 7, is introducing figurative language. There's symbolism going on now. Of course, their eyes were open. Their eyes were always open the whole time after creation. Their eyes were open. They were seeing, physically seeing. The Bible here is talking about a metaphorical sight, that they are seeing things now that they had never seen before. And they are seeing the potential within each other to bring harm to each other. They are seeing that which was shameful, where before it wasn't shameful. Whereas they were once naive, they were now seeing this thing that caused them to want to cover up and to fear relating deeply with each other now at this point. And the Bible says, and they knew that they were naked. And as a result of that, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Notice this, the concealing from intimacy. Folks, it's tragic. Here's my premise. What Adam and Eve did when sin entered their relationship, what Adam and Eve did toward each other when sin entered their relationship we do. Look at the list. 
they moved away from each other when sin entered the relationship. We do too. We turn away, don't we? Just envision backs turning away from each other. When we should move toward each other, when sin enters the relationship, we turn away from each other. We either turn away or turn against rather than turning toward. They hid. We do too. Isn't it true when sin enters relationships that secrets become a dynamic of that relationship? We hide our real selves from another. We hide our actions that we think might not be accepted or that would be judged from another people, from another person. We hide that which is shameful about ourselves from another person, afraid to admit what is true about us. They blamed. We do too. When sin enters our relationships, we blame, don't we? We blame the other person or we blame circumstances. We don't tend to take responsibility for our actions. We don't tend to take responsibility for our part of the problem in relationships. We blame them or we blame circumstances. We play the victim as they did. They concealed their shame. They did it with a fig leaf. And here's my contention. We wear fig leaves, very big ones, in today's world. We do. What is a fig leaf? What do we learn from this passage about what what exactly a fig leaf is? Here's what a fig leaf is. Think about it in this way. It was true for Adam and Eve. It's true for you and me. A fig leaf is anything I connect to that hides my real self from God and others. That's it, simply. Anything that I connect to, that I adhere to, that I relate to, that hides my real self from God and from other people. And we wear them all the time in this world. Fig leaves are very external, superficial things that we point to. We say, hey, look at this. Don't look at the real me. There's some obvious ones. Career. Work. You ever known anybody who connected so much, so preoccupied with their work that they did it at the neglect of their relationship to God and others? Material things, cars, houses, clothes, status symbols. We like to compare fig leaves, don't we? We hold that thing out in front of ourselves. We say, hey, look at this. Oh, wow, you've got an impressive fig Well, you do too. What a nice fig leaf. We, we, we go into debt for fig leaves. We refinance fig leaves. We wear Italian fig leaves. You know, that kind of thing. Very impressive. But hiding the real self. Let's dig a little deeper. We can wear a fig leaf of religion. Religious activity can be a game of pretend. Religious knowledge, where we we learn so much, we know a lot of things about the Bible, but it never leads us to deeply connect to God and to other people. You see, we use that as a way of propping up something about ourselves. It's really not true. We look religious, but we're really not. Kids can be a fig leaf. No parent who is so consumed with their child, so preoccupied with their child that it keeps them from their marriage. Kids are much safer, aren't they, from that standpoint? In fact, they may be used to kind of keep away from the marriage and the real self in the marriage. Perfectionism. Perfectionism is about control and 
managing things right. It's about perception management. That's what percep- uh, perfectionism is. So that I look good out here, perfect. Think about this. It's true in our culture, our American culture, conformity. It's a big fig leaf of conformity. Think about the way that social exchanges work in our world today. You know this to be true. What is it that we do with one another? We conform, we compare, and we compete. And we don't, we don't compare our houses to the mansions that are on the other side of town. We compare our houses and our lawns to the houses and lawns on our block. And it's not about cultivating acceptance, belonging, and authenticity. It's about being like everybody else, but just a little bit better. It's true of our culture. We play the game in our culture of fitting in compared to belonging. Big difference between fitting in and belonging. We're good at fitting in. We're not so good at really belonging. Fitting in is about me being just like everybody else. Belonging is about me being my real self. So again, fig leaves are external and superficial, about conformity and competition. They're about managing perception. Simply put, here's the the truth about fig leaves. Simply put, fig leaves are vulnerability protection. Notice a couple of things that we see from Genesis chapter 3 about fig leaves. Fig leaves are man-made. They're not made by God. What did God make? make? He, he made flesh and blood relationships. That's what he designed us for. Fig leaves are a sad and sorry substitute for the relationships that God intended for us to have with him and with other people. But then notice also, and I said this to you last week, and I want to reemphasize this, you cannot not connect. Adam and Eve didn't connect to each other. They were broken in their relationship to God. So what did they naturally do? They connected to a fig leaf. You cannot not connect. Why? Because you are made for connection. I am too. And if we don't connect to God authentically, we don't connect to other human beings authentically, guess what? We'll connect to something and we'll connect to a fig leaf. Because we're made that way. We have to connect. The problem is, is that fig leaves don't adequately protect. Fig leaves are going away. They'll disappoint. Whether in this life or the life to come, they're going to be stripped away. (laughs) They just won't provide what we ultimately Need. So, folks, here is the power of fear and shame at work in our world today. You know this to be true. We feel it all the time. This tension, can I really be my, my true self to other people? And we are about managing that perception and that tension all the time. Fear and shame have the power to separate, but also the power to keep separated. You say, okay, well... How do I know if I have a fig leaf? Let me give you some indications. One is you feel alone. Again, you you lay your head down on the pillow at night. If you're really honest with yourself, you say, nobody really knows me. They know a perception of me. Nobody really knows me. Nobody really understands me. I'm utterly alone. Next. You have little energy. (laughs) Community connection gives life. 
Fig leaves are not life-giving. They're life-draining. It takes so much energy and effort to prop up this pretense about who I am before other people. And at times, you know it's true. At times, listen, you, you don't have the energy to prop it up and you just let it fly. <laughs> and then there's a little vulnerability regret, right? Because you let it fly to innocent people and bystanders and like, I didn't want people to know this about me kind of a thing. But fig leaves drain our energy. Fig leaves do not bring life. Next, you sense deep unfulfillment. Fulfillment is found. Listen, we believe God's word. Fulfillment is found in loving him and loving others. Fulfillment is found in deep connection. Remember how we defined it. Connection. Loving and being loved. Knowing and being known. Serving and being served. That's connection. And when we don't experience that in our life, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we sense deep unfulfillment rather than fulfillment. Next, you're afraid. You're afraid of being found out. If people knew what I did, If, if, if it were ever found out what is true about my secret, if people knew the real me, I'd be judged. I, I'd be rejected. I'd be ridiculed. I'd be marginalized. And you have a decreased capacity to love. This is the most tragic one of all, I think. His fig leaves and the relationship that we have with them really is not about love. They're, they're, they're about me propping up something about myself to other people. So there's not an exchange of love going on. Deep connection like this is about love being exchanged between individuals. And when we don't do that, we learn that we lose a capacity to love. So this is paradise lost. I would also say to you that social media can be a fig leaf, can it? The internet can be a fig leaf. I mean, it's amazing, this faceless community, because virtual connection is much safer than real connection. I can manage that easier. I was reading an article this week about that very thing. Psychologists have a lot to say about our deep connection that we have with social media and the Internet. Let me read a little bit of this article for you. It says this, On the Internet, you can conceal your real name, age, occupation, appearance, and your physical responses to anyone or anything you encounter online. Social media users, now listen to this, Social media users, especially those who are lonely and insecure in real-life situations, take that freedom and quickly pour out their strongest feelings, their darkest secrets, and their deepest desires on the Internet. This leads, listen to what it says, this leads to the illusion of connection and intimacy, when in reality it underscores the severe limitations of relying on a faceless community for the love and caring that can only come from actual people. This is the world we live in. 
This is paradise lost. It's a little bit of a downer. There's good news. The good news is that God has provided a whole different way of relating to one another. Paradise is lost. The Garden of Eden is never going to come back again. It's gone. But God has a way of helping us do relationships where we can connect and reclaim authenticity once again. And we're going to look at that next week. (laughs) Next week, we're going to talk about what God did in response to Adam and Eve's sin, how he models love and grace and acceptance, even in the midst of the consequences of the sin that they had But it's going to require us to have courage and faith. I want to be very upfront with you about that. This kind of thing is something that goes against the grain of our culture. It's going to require us to have courage and faith. It's going to require us to have to move toward that which scares us. And I want to encourage you to do that. It's not easy. Milton said in Paradise Lost, Long is the way and hard that out of hell leads up to the light. And boy, that's true. And we're going to talk about that next week. I introduced to you last week the Velveteen Rabbit, this children's story that was written in 1922. I share with you how it it chronicles the story of a stuffed rabbit, his desire to become real, and how he is seeking to become real through the love of his owner, who is a little boy. And he's having the conversation with another toy in the playroom called the skin horse. It's the oldest and wisest toy. It's been around the longest. And the skin horse is giving advice and wisdom to the velveteen rabbit. And the rabbit asks about coming, becoming real. How does that happen? And here's what the skin horse says. I shared it with you last week. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. I shared that with you last week. That's how we become real is through love. But the conversation keeps going. The rabbit says to the skin horse, does it hurt? Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. This scared the rabbit. The rabbit longed to become real, to know what it felt like, and yet the idea of growing shabby and losing his eyes and whiskers was rather sad. See, he wished that he could become real without harm. We do too, don't we? It's risky becoming real. It is. It can be hard, but let me tell you, it's not nearly as hard, it's not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing connection is risky, but it's not nearly as dangerous as giving up on friendship and giving up on marriage and giving up on belonging and joy that can come through deeply connected relationships. Only when we are willing to fight the darkness of shame and fear in our lives, to fight it. Only when we're willing to fight the darkness of fig leaves, only then will we be able to see the power of the light of God 
light is the great disinfectant. Light, light solves the toxins of sin in our relationships. Light is love and love is light. And it brings healing. You see, shame and fear is caused by people, but shame and fear is healed by people also. And that's the beauty of what God designed. We have to have the courage, we have to have the faith to be willing to push into it. May God give us that courage. Let's bow and let's pray and ask God for it. Father in heaven, we just turn to you. We need you, God, and we confess our need for you. We thank you that first and foremost, you are the God that we can be completely open with and completely authentic with. We can lay ourselves bare before you, admitting what is true about ourselves, letting go of that fig leaf and allowing you to see our real selves, God, and in return, in response, God, you give grace. You give love. You give mercy. There is such freedom, God, in being real with you. So much freedom. You've modeled for us what it, what it means to have a relationship like that with other human beings. So, Lord, teach us, guide us, and help us, Father, to have the strength to find this part of life that is most fulfilling in the midst of everything else that we've got going on. That we would embrace and reclaim real relationships. And that we would be fulfilled by doing so, God. So we trust you for this. We thank you for the power you give us to live and to do what you've called us to live and to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.